You are listening to Something Rather Than Nothing. Creator and host, Ken Vellante. Editor and producer, Peter Bauer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I love that. Uh, I love that uh, service service industry uh, work that you've done. Can you tell us a little bit about like that was a little while back for you, but tell us a little bit yeah. about it. Yeah, um, service industry came about because I made a decision that I wanted to be get serious about making comics, and um, you know I had mostly been working in you know food service jobs. And I, you know, was working at a job in this little town in Athens, Georgia, in uh, for about ten years. You know, I lived down there, and you know, that's a big music scene. It's a great, yeah. you know, great community there. Actually, uh, very much a, a little oasis in the deep south. And um, I, so you know, it was a lot of cool stuff happening there. And I wanted to make comics. I actually went down there. I, you know, was interested in comics, but then I decided to get serious about it. And I um, went to the newspaper, Flagpole Magazine, and, you know, went to Pete McCommons, the editor, and said, hey, I'm interested in doing a comic strip. He said, bring me four weeks worth of work. Worth of work. And I, so I did. I cranked out like, you know, four strips, big strips, and brought them to him. And they were like, okay, get it in here every Wednesday. We'll pay you weekly. And I just started doing it. And I was like, well, what I, what I, what I wanted to do was figure out my storytelling, like how, how storytelling worked for me. But I also wanted to like be honest about my life and what I was doing, you know, what it's like for me working in, in, you know, as a dishwasher, you know, prep cook and doing all this stuff in this, in this restaurant uh, situation with people I knew and people like, you know, friends and everything. Yeah. who are also artists for in large part, you know, uh, musicians mostly. And, you know, it was a fun scene and, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of late night partying too, but also just, you know, connected to that community, uh, this little punk scene there. And, you know, I had, you know, friends who were getting tattooed with my art and I was doing, art, you know, artwork for posters, flyers, bands and stuff. It was a lot, it was a lot of, a lot of fun. Um, yeah. I did that strip for about three years and did some artwork for the paper and stuff, but it was, it was kind of a trial by fire, you know, like I had to figure out how to make comics and I had been reading mostly comic strips and graphic novels and things like this. I, I hadn't at the time I had no, no real, you know, knowledge or experience with comic yeah. book, like mainstream yeah. comic books you know that came later on I, ha- I had to learn late like usually you get that stuff when you're a kid but i learned yeah. about that stuff yeah. later on so yeah i uh i, I find that i uh, the just so great um the the kind of tone in the voice is, is service industry there's something about you know as i i mentioned a little bit um you know, working with working people and just hearing what people really have to say about like the shit that they deal with is, is just so refreshing. And I, I, I can read that stuff all day. So I'm going to go back into the archives. I know they've been collected. 
there. So we're talking with T. Edward Bach, and I'm so excited. It is his birthday. It is Super Bowl Sunday. And uh, I, I, I got uh, I got him on the on the something rather than nothing podcast, and uh, we've been really excited to chat with each other about comics and and art. But what, I want, here. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Thank yeah, yeah. Appreciate um, you inviting me on. I'm looking forward to talking. And yeah, I wanted to go a little. I don't know, sort of sequence, but it's just like really, really on the top of my uh, head, given um, some of the ways you communicated about what you do with regards to environment, the environmental cri crisis in art. And I just want to tell you as a quick background, I ended up, you know, I've done a hundred over 175 episodes and um, uh, talk about the environment a lot uh, or the environment and other crises that we, that we, um, that, that we experience. I wondered, I've been wondering if the role of art and what art needs to do, if it needs to do anything has changed, uh, with, with, with the situation here and just seeing your conversations about the environment and your, your direct talk about impacts on our life in, in, in world, um, are things different now when it comes to art? Hmm. I don't, no, I don't think so, but I, I do think that, um, there's more, I, I think there, what I've noticed is that there might be a little more awareness and effort in among artists to address some of this stuff. Um, I think, you know, a lot of times, I mean, comics, I'll just talk about comics really. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I'm not really, I'm not in the fine arts world. I don't, you know, the illustration. And I know that like those, that artists in, you know, the art world, you know, are really addressing some of this stuff and how, you know, many of them have been for decades and, you know, a lot of people have been involved um, in comics. Um, I think it's a little, it's an, it's an interesting medium because it's so uh, associated with um, modern cosmopolitan urban sorts of, you know, relationships and um, dynamics, right? Yeah. It's very urban, you know, came up, you know, up in, in, uh, in newspapers and, you know, di pulp digests, things like this. Yep. Yeah. So there was no real connection to, you know, things that were, you know, environmentally related really in, 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 in any terms for the most part, you know, I'm not, I'm, you know, there's things like, Mark Trail in the comics, in you know daily daily newspaper strips, right? And over time, you've seen things emerge, but I think now lately, there's more there there are people who are paying more attention to it. There are artists who are more interested in it, and artists who are interested in addressing it. Um, so. I don't, I, I feel like I'm sort of answering the question there, but yeah, uh, well, and it, it's one of the things that I've, I've asked the question and, and we'll, we'll explore this a little bit with the other answers, but it's kind of it, the, the, that backdrop for me is I think, um, you know, how we think about responding, how artists may respond or not respond to you know, whether it's environmental or political crisis or things that we feel right now 
it impacts, yeah. I don't know, maybe approach, meaning, distribution, and all those things. So I've become really interested in it because my my belief on it is that human beings are always trying to define meaning by crisis, and that doesn't diminish the actual crisis that exists, but we respond to crises. And I think yeah. these are as ex- existential as could be. And yeah. I think the role of our, you know, like it's, it's just squishing in or something like where responses are necessary. So I've, I've been really thinking a lot about this one. The, I, I think there's a, there's a great example in, you know, Rachel Carson, right. You know, um, and like her impact and how that like affected, you know, um, policy even, you know, eventually sure, with silent and, spring. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, there's a vital role that, it, that uh, art plays in this. And I think, you know, as far as like raising public awareness and creating awareness uh, among people in power that can, you know, affect legislation and affect uh, not just policy, but action, you know, in, uh, in everyone. Right. And uh, it's a, it's a tricky situation. You know, a lot of, there's a lot of, um, uh, there's so many, you know, habitat crises, right? There's so many things to be concerned about. And there's also, you know, ecology that's recovering on its own. There's also ha- habitat restoration. There's also the question of like, yeah. uh, well, you know, is stewardship, you know, e- ecologically ethical, like what, how much, and how much, like, um, it's a, it's an interesting issue. And, you know, to me, the, the real vital thing is paying attention to what's happening, but I also really try to avoid, uh, alarmist perspectives in, in my work. I'm really interested in like the, uh, ecology itself and, you know, what's happening. I'm not oblivious to, you know, uh, things that, things that may seem to me not working (laughs) Yeah, right. In like a, major in, in, dynamics, in yeah. Process for everyone, but for everything. But uh, I, my my perspective is focus on what's um, what these relationships are. What's you know what's happening in the ecosystem. What's the what's the ecology. What are, you know what's really happening over the long term. You know. So, thank you for spending some time with that. I had talked a few episodes back with Jonathan Case, uh, did a oh, little okay. monarchs. Um, and, uh, just a a beautiful learning experience, uh, for me and also, you know, around a a graphic novel, uh, you know, immersing itself in these questions. Um, yeah, thanks so much. It's super Uh, complicated. I think, I think it's, I, I think it's, 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 I don't want to say it's dangerous, but I think it's, um, it's kind of tricky to, you know, um, it's tricky to minimize what's happening, but it's also tricky to uh, oversimplify it, you know? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, okay. Uh, you got a, a newer publication, Sea of Time. I got a copy of it. Um, I've been uh, dropping deep into uh, independent publications, things I come in contact with the beautiful bookstore, Floating World Comics. And, uh, 
encountered your work on uh, Instagram and there in person. Um, I want to say that the one main thing that I just want to let you know is, is somebody looking at your art, um, the beautiful cover of a feminine form and antlers uh, uh -huh. on that cover, uh, just an a uh, jaw dropping uh, image and a um, uh, beautiful piece of work. Um, so I wondered if you could, uh, yeah, just chat a little bit about that and uh, you know, it's accessible from you. Just tell, tell folks about um, your, your, that, that recent piece. Um, are you asking about the, the work on the cover or just the book itself or what the book, you, what the book itself overall? Yeah, sure. So, yeah. Uh, let's see. Hmm. <laughs> it's all, this is it's one of those shows. This is one of those yeah. shows where some of the questions are like, yeah. It's good. It's a, it's a good, I can talk about this a little bit. I, I don't mind talking about it. And you know, this is like one of those opportunities where it's like, okay, I have the opportunity, I have the chance. So I'll talk as much as I can about it and really dive in because, you know, I've been working on this project so long that, you know, I, if I, you know, encounter someone who is new to my work or wants to, or I meet someone for the first time, you know, I have to remember to give them the, the elevator version of the work instead of being like, well, let me start, let me tell you how this is, you know, it's like, I've been working on that. this project for um, over a decade. So um, the, uh, the work Sea of Time is really uh, kind of a, a sequel prequel uh, accompaniment to an earlier uh, graphic novel called Island of Memory, uh, which focused really on uh, a moment in time of, in the life of a naturalist, Georg Steller, who came with the Russians to uh, North across the North Pacific to Alaska in the 18th century. And um, so sea of time is sort of a follow-up, but also kind of like, prequel sequel you know shows different perspectives and introduces different elements to the overall narrative now i'm working on uh more sea of time chapters but also the book island of memory sort of bookends the entire project so there's another island of memory um that will be at the end and they'll just sort of like be like i said a book um i it's interesting you brought up service industry and then we talked about that first Service industry was, you know, autobiographical work and, you know, or se I, I should say semi-autobiographical really because there's all, all these fantastic elements in there. But um, also uh, it was my first real like experience telling things my own, telling my own story and figuring out storytelling, comics, storytelling for myself. So, you know, what I, what I ended up doing, I'll, I'll cut to the chase a little bit here. I ended up working on a, uh, a boat in Southeast Alaska. When I came back from Georgia, I came back to Portland. I ended up working in a, on a tour ship in Southeast Alaska for a few months and, you know, had a contract position on that ship. And, you know, uh, we went and spent time in Alaska and the North Pacific. And it was my first, um, my first real encounter. Like, you know, I grew up traveling through the West quite a bit, but I had never been in such a remote wilderness and it absolutely just transformed my life. Like it completely refocused everything in my life. I, when I got out there, my goal was, 
you know, I wanted to save some money. I wanted to work, save some money, see some wilderness nature, you know, get in that. Yeah. Because I had, I had worked a little on a boat before previously and I had, you know, wanted to get back to it. I had a friend who had been doing it for a while too. So I went up there expecting to do some, uh, like a work that was sort of service industry ish. It was going to be like, Hey, I'm now I'm doing this service industry thing on this boat. Cause I got a job. Yeah. Steward, right. Yeah. So I got up there and honestly, like I, you know, was just, I mean, you, I can't, I can't even like begin to tell you what it's like there. You know, it's like, I mean, we were surrounded by wildlife constantly. I mean, it was, and I'm not yeah. kidding. Every day it's just whales, orcas, dolls, porpoises. There's bears on the shore. There's wolves out there. Wow. Moose every, it's constant, like constant. Yeah. Lions up there. And it was just unreal and mind blowing, you know, to be, you know, my first day I come up, you know, on deck and it's like, there's humpback whales, like right, right next to us, you know? So it's, wow. It's it sounds and fantastical that, in the scope of it, as you're describing, it sounds fantastical and magic. Yeah. It was unreal. And what happened was, you know, the more time I spent, I think within the first few weeks, I, you know, I was drawing a lot on my spare time. And it started, it occurred to me that, you know, the stuff that I was experiencing was so much more meaningful than me, than my life experience, than my, than what was happening with me. And I was like, I'm like, I'm nothing. Like there's no, there's, that's one of the great things about, I like living uh, on the, on the Pacific coast is that sense of like being near an ocean, you get that sense of insignificance. And I think yeah. people need that. I really need it, you know, cause I have uh, my ego can get, you know, pretty, I need, I need the same type of thing that, 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 you know, that, that much bigger thing. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I think, it, you know, everyone needs it. And, and when I was out there, I definitely got it. And I was like, you know what, my, my story is not important. What's, what's more important is like what's happening here. Um, among, you know, I was like, you know, we spent time in this Clinket community. There was Haida and Clinket art everywhere. Athabascan, you know, Kwakwakawakwa, uh, you know, and got, you know, to see all this and this and some of this culture on the coast and, and, and how that's connected to, you know, coastal ecology and not, not to mention just the coastal, you know, um, and forest succession that's happening because the, you know, they're so close to the glaciation out yeah. there and it was just constant phenomenal and i was like you know what my i'm in i'm totally insignificant like i you know me doing this service industry story out here is just ridiculous like i don't want to do that i want to talk about like what's happening in nature i want to talk you know, about it's just this complete what's happening like in in this other stuff but i i know i need i knew i needed that uh human element there and i you know i'd heard about this story about the second kamchatka expedition i'd heard about what I heard about first was um, the St. Paul. There were two ships that left in, from Kamchatka in this expedition. I heard about the St. Paul, which was commanded by uh, a, a, a Russian sea captain named uh, Kirikov. And they got to what is essentially Sitka now um, and lost men there. So I heard about that story first. Yeah. And then reading more, you know, there were, there was actually, you know, work books on the, on the boat that I worked on 
that were, you know, addressed and talked about Stellar. I started reading about Georg Stellar, the naturalist, this botanist. And from there, I was like, here's the story that I want to tell. And here's what I want to learn about. So I, I did. I started like working on this project that was about Stellar's experience and his connection to uh, the indigenous populations that he encountered and spent time with in Kamchatka and that the expedition encountered in the North Pacific, the Aleutian Islands. Um, so I, what I did was I ended up going back to school. I went back to school for environmental studies and um, I was working on this project, learning more about, you know, habitat, ecology and things like this and environmental systems in, you know, through in the Pacific Northwest, really. But I was interested in Alaska. So I ended up I ended up um, kind of raising money to do a little drawing expedition and went back to the uh, went back to Alaska and then went out to the Aleutian Islands to do some research out there and spent a few weeks out there and then came back on the ferry and met uh, an Unangan family and uh, uh, on the way back and connected with them and then reconnected with them later and decided, you know, this is the perspective that needs to be addressed and balanced out with this Russian history. This Imperial history is the history of these people who were impacted by uh, this Russian exploration and this expedition and, and the, and the impact on the ecology, obviously. Yeah. So well, in a nutshell, that's yeah. sea of time addresses that begins to address that stuff. And then as the chapters progress more and more, and some of this work will actually be translated into Unangam Tunu. Uh, I'll work with the Aleut Pribilof uh, Island um, Association to get help translating. And also they're going to be reviewing my work as well and kind of guiding me in the stuff uh, where it's where I'm talking about traditional ecological knowledge and, you know, indigenous uh, knowledge in the uh, in the Aleutian Islands. So. Oh, thank you. I mean, my heart was just... But I mean, I was kind of lost my breath a little bit there because I'm I'm that impacted by uh, what you're talking about, and uh, even going back to the, to the beginning for me, I was trying to I was trying to put myself in you, you know, in your in your head, right? You you're talking about your experience in Athens and yeah. figuring out the form and storytelling, and then you're up there in Alaska. Can you tell me when you saw Tlingit art? When you saw that art, like. What happened then? Because the way you described it was connected to all those pieces. And I don't know that it was new for you, but there had to be an aspect where it had to be completely new for you in your, in, in person. Yeah, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about it, but I guess what made it, what, what the, as far as that, uh, the Clinket uh, culture goes, you know, we were, uh, I, f I think we were in, this place called Alert Bay, and we um, were allowed to get off the boat, and there were, you know, totem pole carvings. There, there was a pole carving in process, you know, on one of the roads we were, you know, driving down to um, to uh, observe a, a dance ceremony that was at the lodge, one of the lodges we went to. And we observed this, this dance, and, it, you know, we're surrounded by panels of these forms and you know learning about th the different like type of family clans like the moyetes is what they call them and it's so interesting the way those clans are established and you know they're associated with wolf with raven you know and whale and you know learning about this stuff 
gave me, you know, this kind of like uh, concept of like this, you know, relationship with nature is so vital here. Right. And I mean, you hear about that all the time, but to see it, to witness it was, it was, it made a, it made a, uh, a solid impact on me, you know? Um, and it was very inspiring, um, to see that. Yeah. Well, th- and, and thanks, thanks, thanks for, thanks for sharing that because, and I, I was also the, the part that lifted my heart and hearing you talk about it, of course, was the language and you working with the, the, you know, uh, the language and translation because, um, for, I, I've, uh, in, in, in doing this podcast, I've spoken with, um, indigenous creators, probably, uh, 18, uh, or so represent more than 20, uh, 20 nations. And, um, I'm curious and I want to learn in the, the depth of the language or in the, the, the understanding language with the Lashutsi, um, in Umatilla, uh, sure. tribes. I saw Black Belt Eagle Scout on Friday. She had just released her new album and there's a song that it was, I thought it was just fascinating to me because I could see that it was written in Lashutzeed. I didn't understand it, but I'm like, oh, I just felt good that like I I was going, I was, I don't know. I just had learned something deep Um, and just hearing about your work and and putting it in in the language. Can you, can you tell us a, a, a little bit about, about that and, and, and doing it right. And what that can mean to see your work in, uh, in, in the language. Um, hmm, it's interesting because, uh, we haven't started working on any of the translation yet. Um, sure. So we'll find that, out, huh? <laughs> that, yeah, I will. I'll have to find out. And the thing is, I'll have to, you know, the, the clinket stuff is probably not going to be part of this book, but, uh, Unangan, uh, culture will be and they're Unangan people are, you know, primarily the, you know, population in it that we associate that when people say when Americans or, you know, Canadians or, you know, people say that they're talking about the Aleutians and they talk about Aleut people. Aleut is really a word that comes from a Russian uh, description. And those people don't call themselves Aleut. They, you know, they call themselves Unangan, you know, and then they, those are, that's actually like more of a broad term because there's yeah. different communities on different islands that have different um, associations. But Unangam Tunu is a, a, a language that is spoken by quite a few people in the Aleutians, which is sparsely populated, you know, but still uh, has a, you know, a range of different cultural dynamics using this, you know, using, you know, using a similar language. So I'll, I'll work with the, uh, with the, uh, Ali Pribilof Island Association to get some guidance on accuracy, cultural accuracy and representation. But I'm also, uh, I've also been interviewing, uh, an, Anunangan, uh, woman who I've become friends with, and she's the head of the Aleut Marine Mammal Commission. So she's also like provided me with a lot of like insight and, you know, like really great uh, conversations about what life is like now. So that's going to be a, that's a perspective that will be in sea of time, like what it's like now versus like deep time, mythic time, like stories that come from like whoever they're still relevant. 
yeah. and then like what happened during the expedition and now like what's what's life like today just to emphasize that continuum and that you know to you know make sure that um these these uh communities are you know still thriving they still you know are still there they still have this relationship with the nature in the north pacific they have a relation they still have a relationship with um the russian you know exploration that you know took place in the in the north pacific yeah i um well and and thank you for that i gotta i gotta tell you we're talking with t edward bach and um thank you for spending the time in, 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 in talking about, you know, some of the process pieces in your experience too. Um, it, it really adds a lot, uh, adds you know, a lot was, for me. I want to, I want to say one other thing, you know, of course I was, I was extremely fortunate, you know, to, I, I had, I was invited to, um, participate in a, in a, a comics, uh, convention in St. Petersburg, Russia. And the, uh, when I, w- I went out there, went to St. Petersburg, and managed to visit the ethnographic museum and uh, was able to see some of, some of the stuff that uh, some of the objects that came back from the expedition, but also saw some of the uh, Imperial Academy, you know, offices that had been preserved. So it's like, I get to use all this historical material to represent all kinds of different aspects of this expedition and this part of history and show how this is still ecologically relevant. Right. Because that's, that's the idea. It's all, um, well, ecologically relevant, ecologically, you know, it's still vital and important. And, um, I think to me, one of the things I want with this project is, you know, to sort of heal that rift between nature and human beings, which I think is, uh, that's, that's like the, really the most important thing right now, you know, um, for everyone. So to me, this work is like sort of a, uh, picture medicine, picture story medicine, you know? Yeah. I, uh, I, um, I, I, well, I think there's certain aspects of this. We can end up talking again because I was going to start talking about, I've never been to St. Petersburg, but I'm, um, I'm, uh, deep into, um, Russian literature. Uh, oh, nice. and, yeah. And I've studied, I've, I, I studied it f- formally, you know, some classes and, and, and done it on my own too. So I've been interested lately in, uh, kind of like, um, the mythos around things that I've created in my head that come from literature and history about what a, what a place is. So when you said St. Petersburg, um, and connecting that piece to the story where you're looking at the pieces moving from, you know, being taken or placed there in St. Petersburg. Um, it has to be just quite an, uh, an amazing experience in the sense of just seeing the total of it. Um, yeah. And Siberia being so huge. I mean, they traveled from Siberia, St. Petersburg all the way across, you know, to Kamchatka. It took them like two years to get from St. Pe- you know, in the 18th century, <laughs> right. you know, and it was like this, I mean, I, I read somewhere, I can't remember who wrote about this. I think it was, um, oh man. A- anyway, I think it was Empire of Extinction was the book. But um, I think he was saying something like the, you know, fi- financially, this uh, 
the uh, like what Russia accomplished and what they what they tried to accomplish and what they did was, you know, the equivalent of, you know, like now, like mapping the entire, you know, um, like North American continent, you know, every river, every, you know, yeah. forest, every mountain range, you know, like now it would be just like the equivalent of that for what, for what they did, um, you know, and all the money they spent, you know, just to get across Siberia and the North Pacific and exploring the, just like, just a little section of, at first in the seventh in 1741, just a tiny little section. Um, this, it, it was in, insane, you know, I mean, it yeah. was an insane amount of money. And it, of course, like once they had made it back, you know, to, to Russia, I think they were just like, no, no more cut, you know, like they were, we're not spending any more money on this expedition because the, that the leader of the expedition bearing bearing sea, bearing Strait, you know, it's named after the leader of this expedition. Yeah. Yeah. He had gone twice, you know, looking for a connection to uh, America and Asia. So he had gone across all the way, then went all the way back to report to them and said, I think maybe it's there. And then they were like, well, <laughs> well I got to go back and check. So they were like, okay, we'll give, you more money. we'll give you more time, more resources, go again. He went again and then they, they found it. They realized there was no land link. Then they came back and shipwrecked and he died. And then they, they rebuilt their ship and made it back to Kamchatka. And that's when the expedition, you know, pretty much ended. So the whole Whoa. thing, crazy, crazy. Sweeping histories. So, I mean, um, there's, so many, there's so many little side expeditions. Yeah. Place as well. Like they went up to the Arctic. They explored out there that Japan, everything. They just did this whole insane thing. This was, this Bering's expedition was only a small, well, was only one part of it, but it's mostly known because you know it was america they've you know got to america so that's why it's right. more historically right. recognized i think at least in 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 north america i should say sure sure um oh man thank you um uh big 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 question uh what is what is art what is art right uh it's always a it's always such a great question um I think there's a there's a there's an idea that you know there's uh, this position that you know art's really just the mastery of the like a type of alchemy, right? It's a partially a uh, this process of curiosity um, and opening oneself to like ethereal forms that are triggered by inspiration. Um, mm. But then you know through through a, a motive. Um, and a knowledge and a practice and, you know, application of skills. Um, you have these forms that are transliterated, transliterated or deconstructed um, as like a, as corporeal expressions for others to witness. Right. Yeah. Um, but then there's the idea that this is, you know, art is like an acknowledgement of the brain's tendency towards symmetry, um, idealizing form and color and space. Um, and I think all this stuff can be true. All this stuff can be true. I, but I think insofar as my concern, like over time, like realizing, you know, I, I'm a cartoonist, you know, I don't know if I'm an artist. Um, I'm working at a practice to master the medium of comics. And in that, in that sense, I'm, 
a cartoonist. Um, am I an artist at comics? I don't even really think so. You know, I think I'm, I'm creating some, some work. I'm not saying like, Oh, art's just all self-expression. I think maybe mm -hmm. when I was younger, I had this kind of notion. And I, I think you go through a phase where you have to see this and then you have to realize there's formal elements you, you have to master and, or you can think this, you know, ultimately I, I feel like for myself, there's a, um, uh, you know, it's about relationships and the mastery of the creative work. So you have the relationship, the artist to the canvas, to the, to the subject, you have the, you know, the subject to the process, to the, the space, um, the materials, the method, you know, the relationship of the, you know, the viewer to the work, the relationship of the, you know, the elements of the work within themselves. And I, I really think it's, it's just about that. And I, you know, that may be oversimplifying it, but to me, that's what makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, no, I, I, I like the, I, I like the question. And I think one of the, I like some in, in talking about this, I like to, you know, recognize some of the dynamics that go into it, you know, the, you know, how, what do we think about it now? Um, how do we do it? And, you know, what it is kind of like, you know, philosophical stuff, you know, what is, is the thing, you know, uh, why are we doing, uh, the thing? Which gets us to the to the big the big question, which is uh, how however you want to 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 go at this. Um, which what do you is, think? What do you think it is? How do you feel about it? As far as why is there something rather than nothing? No, no, no. The art. I um I, I I'm very much influenced uh, on a in a simple way. Yeah. Uh, about about what art is. Um, I'm very influenced by Andy Warhol, what you can get away with, what you can show, the display in of itself. Somebody saying, uh -huh. hey, look at this. There's uh -huh. something about me. There's something about the way that I think about it is the people are having an art experience. And I think they're having it a lot, a lot, like as far as and there's a presentation and a knowing yeah. that humans need to be helped along with. And, uh, so I'm in like cultivating that. Show it. Okay, we got a wall here and it has all these weird things on it. Let's put some uh, uh, sticker tape around it and say, look, is that a piece of art? You know, there's just something uh, about that. So I'm, I like the presentation and the display in the show. I take notice. And yeah. that, that's the dynamic I, uh, I really dig. Um, but the constituent elements are in that too. Like, is that a work of art and why is it? Um, yeah. So I like the display and the display kind of tells me, I give a lot of license to somebody saying they're performing, they're doing, I'll watch, let's watch this art. So yeah. I defer, I defer a lot. I think <laughs> it, I, I wanted to, I, I, I like your idea, your question about the role of art and I, I think if anything, like maybe my, my role or my, you know, job is not necessarily an artist, but I'm an art, art worker, you know? Um, and, uh, I, so the role for the, for the, for the art is, and for the artist is sort of inducing 
forms which demonstrate a potential to sort of unconfound human experience for those who encounter it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the, um, I, I, yeah, I, I wanted... To what you say about dis display is all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, and um, I don't know, I, I, I enjoy that, uh, I enjoy that dynamic. I found that in the show... Let me let me tell you a little bit too, just about the art. Um, I don't know. It's like in the fall, and uh, you know, I work hard at doing this show, and it's a lot of fun for me. But then, yeah, I would say, as you as an artist, when you're stuck in certain places or things aren't working, and then it's a few days or it's a few weeks, I had trouble booking folks, and I, my head was busy and everything. And then I was like. I wanted to tap into the to kind of the kinetic energy that was around artists that were around. And the breakthrough I had was I interviewed Death Valley girls outside oh, yeah. of Kelly, outside of Kelly's in Portland. Great small music venue, bar, hangout. They're so awesome. And yeah. yeah, it was great. And I talked to them. And then the recording from inside was just an atypical episode. It was like, I'm very moved by um I'm very moved by by drums and journeying drums. I'm very susceptible to them. I will go with those drums. And I caught some of that live there. So then I put out this episode, and it was just so different. And we didn't drop into everything. We're just like, hey, you're going into a show. You're about to play. Let's chat. And we had some of the music. And that energy there and my focus on trying to get at that, it, 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 got, me over, it got me over that hump. I'm going to be like, I need to be doing this. I need to be having some fun. And if I need to know, go look where the, the wire is, I'll go search for the wire and I got to do it. So Fantastic. that really helped me. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Music. Right. And it was music, you know, which, which can kind of just get jump you over some of uh, the difficulties. It's a, it can or, recharge. That's for sure. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's great. We're talking with Tia Rudbach. Um, and, um, I, I, uh, for listeners, I encountered, uh, his, his, his works at, um, floating world comics, uh, in, in Portland, which is great, a publisher in, in shop and, uh, continuing the conversation, uh, with him. I, it is, um, really, uh, exploring, um, art, uh, ecology, and history, um, leading us to the question, why is there something rather than nothing? Do you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting question, too. I, I don't know. Um, I, I wrote about this, and I, I tried to kind of, you know, parse it out for myself. And um, so I guess there has to be both sort of, which is really kind of determined by the process of elimination. You have to like account for one in order to like discount the other. Um, if that, the, if not this, then this, or maybe this or this or this um, until you determine that one circumstance in one circumstance, there's an absence of everything, which is nothing. And in another circumstance, there's the absence of nothing, which indicates something. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I suppose Maybe because of human consciousness and language of human consciousness, um, it, there, it may not be fully capable for us to really grasp nothing. We may not be able to actually like understand what nothing is. Um, you're always going to encounter the concept of nothing 
being essentially something, right? Nothing is obviously something too. Um, so maybe until the mind evolves a process to encounter or uh, an undefined, which is without even its own absence, um, there will probably always be something. All right. That's, just, that's All the right. best I can do. That's the best All I can right. do. Hey, there's something. There's something about the way you were talking about it for me uh, made me think of, um, and maybe you haven't mentioned it in the show before, but uh, I studied uh, philosophy at Marquette University in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And my first contact with uh, Buddhist philosophy was a course offering uh, in Buddhist philosophy. Hmm. And there's this great, fascinating, curious work, and I might have it dated wrong, but it's from centuries ago. And it's from uh-huh. a Buddhist saint, uh, Nagarjuna. And the cool. name of the work is called Mula Mahaya Makikarika, and I hope I got that right. We normally call it MMK for short. Okay. But what's fascinating about this work is it's a something rather than nothing. So you have this sage philosopher, and you have these interlocutors who come to him. And during the course of this book, and you can decide whether it's successful or not, everybody comes with somethings. He shows them to be nothings. He takes on mm-hmm. all. And so it's within this subtle point within Buddhist philosophy is there's flashy things. We see all these type of things, but the thinginess all underneath, get your hands on it. And it's a great exercise because everybody's coming to him. Hey, this is surely something. And I'm paraphrasing, of course, but yeah, yeah. this is surely something. And he'd be like, it's a logical uh, kind of practical treatise. And, it isn't just for, within the tradition. It isn't just for mental exercise. It's soteriological in the sense of this analysis can help you lead to your salvation if you believe it to be so. You can get away from the somethings and the other things and experience in life as a flow. So if Nagarjuna yeah. was successful, the MMK for short, um, I just I, I just love that that dynamic. And I really loved your answer. And, um, you prompted me to think about Nagarjuna, which I hadn't in a little while. (laughs) I, I think, you know, I read, um, something that I go back to constantly is, uh, Zen mind, beginner's mind. Uh, yeah. Chinryu Suzuki. Suzuki. Yeah. I, I read that and all, I, I constantly go back to that. Like I can just open it up and it's like, Oh, this is like addressing exactly what's going on with me. And, um, so I I, uh, I know that there's like there's a you know a concept or I I don't want to say con maybe concept is a better idea uh, concept of presence right yep. being present you're, if you're present now you're here with what you are and everything that's going on like everything else that's something that's bombarding you something over here something over here it's nothing because you're just present right you're just present yep. with what you are now. And if you're, if you're, you know, relaxed in that moment and you're just like letting it be, then yeah, there's not, there's that something is nothing, you know, but it's also, you're something, but not really. (laughs) No, it's, it's, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I love the discussion. I think, you know, at the, I, and I asked the question too, as a, you know, like a significant philosophical question, but I reckon, I also understand that within that you know, even defining concepts, something or nothing. Cause if you look at nothing from the, from maybe the Buddhist tradition, nothing isn't any big deal at all. 
It ain't yeah. a big deal versus the idea, which is important. Is, is this a nihilism? Is there a nothing? Is there a vacuum? It's all, you know, and that's scary as shit for humans. So it's like, how do, like, what is it, you know, what is it that's the nothing and the something? And uh, I think the joy and the reclamation within, you mentioned Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind by Suzuki. I think that's one of the greatest books ever written. I'm glad you referred to it. And I'm going to remember to refer to it because... I remember reading it and it was like breathing and I'm saying I understood it all or I practiced it all, but I'm like, there is some clarity and wisdom that was just right within there. It's a good touchstone. Um, thanks yeah. for bringing it up again. <laughs> oh yeah. I love it. I need to read more. I have a good friend who's, you know, Buddhist who like recommends things all the time. He'll even send me books sometimes and like I'll look at that stuff and I'll be like, well, this is good, but it's like, it's not Zen mind, beginner's mind. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Well, let's, I, need let's, to expand let's, my, I need to expand my reading on that a little bit more and open my mind oh. to a little bit more, but thanks for and mentioning what I think, the yeah, What I think we can do is um, maybe put a little bit of a list in, in this, in the show notes for this show, because it's, it's really a great kind of fertile, uh, fertile, fertile area. And I've approached, the, you know, this question and some of the bigger things from, um, Thomas Merton, who was um, uh, uh, a monk, but also understood uh, Buddhism, in my opinion, almost better than anybody I've come in contact with. You know, a holy huh. man, a Christian holy man. He's Catholic. And, um, yeah, uh, the um, uh, Jesuit, um, and uh, I believe it was a Benedict, Benedictine. I could have that wrong, but um, but with 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 Merton, uh, Merton and Suzuki also talked. And what I found beautiful about that conversation, and I'll, I'll share this too, is that these were two folks jostling, and they're jostling in, 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 in territory, and I thought they were both very close to the truth and just playing in that area. Like, that's all I needed. It, it, it wasn't, you know, I put the book down and walk away. It's not that. It was like, I think... <laughs> they're near the sun or something so that's fascinating yeah beautiful I have, conversation. I, I, th I feel like i've always been sort of a, a you know i was raised catholic and like i got away from it and i i felt like i was always kind of seeking on my own and i remember at some point you know before i sort of walked away from all that stuff i remember feeling like well my, you know making art you know, making my, well, making drawings, I should say, making drawings to me was, it was so much a part of my like daily life, like so much part of my, you know, like a ritual for me at when I was young, much younger, I thought, oh, it's like, you know, for me, this is what prayer really is. Like, this is really what this is, you know, making it. Um, and, you know, I got away from that idea, but like over time, I've sort of re-examined that and feel like, there is this definitely like a spiritual element that I'm seeking and like maybe even trying to connect with or portray in the sure. work. And um, like you mentioned, this cover of um, of uh, Sea of Time with this yeah. this deer goddess, which is a real you know thing in Siberia, ancient. You know, it comes from a book called uh, the Ancient or uh, Ecology of Belief, the Ancient Deer Goddess of or the the Deer Goddess of Ancient Siberia by Esther Jacobson. And she talks about the continuum of this, you know, through Neolithic times, um, 
through like, you know, early, you know, early present times where it's like this um, prevalent deer goddess that appears in different forms throughout Siberia, throughout this part of Asia, Northern Asia. And I thought, this is what, you know, in a way, this is what Stellar is experiencing, right? Um, for me, I felt like the the experience that I had in nature in uh, in the Alaskan wilderness was, for lack of a better word, lack of a better term, a spiritual experience. Like it was yeah. something where I was no longer distinct from the natural environment. I was not like, I was like, I would be, I, I was aware of how and how, not when, but that and how I would be subsumed back into this and re, you know, reintegrated and, you know, regurgitated or, you know, yeah. re, you know, all, all this stuff was uh, very, I felt very connected and very um, much part of the cycle of, of everything. And, and that's what was so like, overwhelming and made me feel like okay me as a you know this ego you know individual self is is not really the story here you know um so yeah it is it is completely the story but it's not the story <laughs> it's you know it's <laughs> exactly exactly yeah and i i would say um i appreciate your comments too because on the you know i i think i think any the show or maybe a lot of the conversations uh you know, I think a lot of people do feel a spiritual longing. I grew up a uh, Roman Catholic, have a very unique relationship uh, with that. Um, and actually, one of my touchstones to understand myself truly has been Jack Kerouac, who oh, nice. grew up in New England, Milltown. I grew up in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. And of course, Kerouac was up in Lowell, Massachusetts. Massachusetts and yeah. um, I have a lot of Quebecois, French Canadian. Awesome. background and um i encountered kerouac very late because there's caricatures of who kerouac is which of course. some are his own doing and otherwise but grew up roman catholic didn't even speak english spoke a a, a dialect of french as a first language then french then english complete roman catholic and uh, but when he went on his journey out west as you might be familiar with of uh, uh coming in contact with the dharma I wrote a book, Some of the Dharma, the scripture of the golden eternity. And if you look at it, it feels a little bit, for the outside, a little bit foofy, like a little bit strange. But this was a deep spiritual writing in, in him exploring the wisdom of, of Zen. And of course, before he died, and, you know, it's a long story and all that, he was attracted back to Catholic ghosts and saints. Uh -huh. And, and Mother Mary comforting his pain and Jesus Christ taking away. I mean, that's how it happened for him. But I believe, like, from my background, at least saying, like, I can understand all of that, uh, his his journey. So for me, I've uh, taken a lot of heed in kind of, like, looking at some of his interactions with, um, you know, with, you know, just with that um, – with that dynamic between Roman Catholicism and um, you're in darkness. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Your life and, just um, turned off. I mean, I was just making a joke. 
Um, hey, you know what was? I, we had to tell the folks, the listeners, this. Nobody saw this, but uh, we're talking about Kerouac here, and we're talking, I don't know, maybe mystical stuff. The sun lamp, which uh, probably uh, Todd T. Edward Bach and I used to survive, or at least I do, turned off during that <laughs> discussion. And uh, I know you were wondering uh, whether. So, um, yeah, Kerouac. I just wanted to jump in on that and what you you're know, talking Darn about. Darn is like is probably one of my favorite books. I Absolutely. started reading that stuff, and I don't know if you know this, but like you know, I you know I uh, not a place to visit. I don't know if I sent you that book. That was a, that's a little collection of, Oh, you didn't even know about that book. Maybe I didn't. So that's that book is a collection of illustrated essays, like comics essays about different environmental, you know, environmental crossroads and ecological crossroads, cultural crossroads in Oregon, like why am, you know, people on the Columbia river, uh, the Salton sea in California, fracking in Colorado, some family stuff in Colorado. So I did this little book. The name of it is uh, "Not a Place to Visit," which comes from a Gary Snyder uh, ah. poem. So, some uh, definitely some beat influence. And you know, like when I lived in Athens, I was definitely like, you know, very enamored of beat writers and Bukowski and all those guys too, and Henry Miller especially, like later on too. So, yeah, I yeah. I, uh, I I was definitely into that stuff much more when I was younger, but I. I still value a lot of that writing. You know, Kerouac is really, really a brilliant mind. So, I, I do. I think uh, for me, for me, uh, just talking about my reaction to it, it's punk as fuck. Always been, and <laughs> sure. And I, yeah. I think people, I think people get caught up. And when I caught, I, I, look, I was, I, I counted Kerouac, and I was in my twenties, and it was in an academic setting, and I felt like all my classmates were like tired of life already. Like they had all these formalistic arguments that that they had been taught that Kerouac was not, uh, you know, good enough or it was, you know, they had really strong opinions. And I experienced and say, look at the friggin energy in this, man. This shit's bringing me to life. And that's me. I'm not saying everybody has to be that way, but I'm like, are you looking at the same book I am? <laughs> yeah, I think they, you know, they're it's, you know, they're that that group is you know, understandably, uh, criticized. Um, but also some of it is, is too easily dismissed, but you know, it is, it is also, you know, it's uh, the 21st century. Like there's time, it's time to like examine other work, other writers and, you know, Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. From, from all that stuff too. So, but Abs you know, that's, absolutely. That's the, that, uh, that kind of, that whole phenomenon, you know, in that era, is you know definitely uh, always going to be a part of that uh, literature, right? So, yeah, yeah, in the same way that like Thoreau would be, and and those and those guys, the early Romantic people too. So, yeah, thank you. Well, we're covering covering everything: something, nothing, Kerouac, Alaska, graphic novels, environmental crisis. Uh where do we find? Uh, could you tell the listeners here? Um, be, before we uh before we leave off just kind of really kind of uh i mean i there's some pieces of yours as we come through the conversation i i want to get my hands on i know some listeners will be like you know where where do i find this um for portland and online and stuff can you can you tell us where to sure. encounter you yeah so uh i well i teach comics classes with uh pacific northwest college of art and portland community college um 
So those are community ed classes that anyone can take. Um, they're introduction to comics classes that focus on nonfiction comics and graphic novels. Um, I have a Patreon that you are more than welcome to check out and sign up for, subscribe to. I have like, I have a lot of great uh, followers and subscribers and, you know. Sign up, folks. I just sign did. Up. Sign up. Sign up. Yes. Thank you, Ken. I appreciate that, too. Um, lots of updates on works in progress and things. Um, maybe making some more small videos for that, too. Anyhow, um, Sea of Time, not a place to visit, can be purchased at Floating World or any fine comic book shops in your community. Um, also, you can find early stuff in things like Drawn and Quarterly Showcase, Best American Comics, um, MoM. All these, you know, comic book collections have earlier versions of comics that I've done. And yeah, service industry, you'd have to get in touch with me personally um, because I have uh, the stock of that. And it's a funny story of how I came came to that, but uh, maybe that's for another time. But So you have them. It, it's up to you because I'll listen. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Well, what happened was I, you know, this book was published back in, uh, originally like 2005 and it was not the entire strip. It was a story that like, like that I had sort of developed in during the strip. And then it was published as all one like standalone story uh, on its own. And uh, the publisher sort of, you know, we, we got some of it out, you know, we promoted it and everything and it's, you know, got out in the world, but the publisher unbeknownst to me lost track of like almost two thirds of the stock. They lost, Ooh. they lost it, you know, or didn't know where it was in this warehouse. And so it was gone for like 15 years. And I really thought, wow, like, I guess that's it. Like, you know, we sold out and then nobody was paying attention anymore. Nobody was ordering anymore. And it was just like done. And I was like, yeah. okay, like this experience was a little disappointing, but I understand <laughs> like, yeah, I'm just a yeah. new guy on the block. So whatever, it's fine. But then it turns out like the publisher distributor guy got in touch with me like last year or two years ago. And he's like, Hey, guess what I found? And I was like, what? And he's like, I found like this big stock of like the, your books. And I just want to give them to you. Cause like, you know, we didn't even get to sell them or do anything with it. They didn't get distributed. So I like came into like, you know, kind of a boon of like having, you know, most of the stock that was, well, well, a big chunk of the stock that was left over. And um, yeah, he shipped a bunch of that stuff to me. So now I have that stuff. You can order it from me. And you can, you can write me on Instagram. I'm on Instagram and you can uh, find me. Uh, I don't know if I should get my email here. You can find me on Instagram. That's probably the best. Yeah. Message yeah. That's the easiest, easiest way. Thanks. Thanks for doing that. And I, 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 I really appreciate it. I don't, I, I don't overlook the opportunities and the connections I try to make on, you know, I make on this show. And I, I just really appreciate the conversation because what happens for me is, my mind gets energized and I deepen my understanding or curiosity. And um, there's a lot of great work coming out of floating world comics uh, publishing and the stuff that they carry. If you love independent publishing, if you love any type of comic book or counterculture um, floating world comics is just, just really a candy, just a candy store for your mind in, in that way. 
It's nice to talk about, a, you know, like at least as far as a recent nexus with as far as, you know, with you and the show coming in, had the Greg and Fake from the Santo Sisters comic that Floating World uh, publishes, which is a is, is a is a really cool one. And um, I even recorded um, uh, something rather than nothing podcast episode just within the mall. But down away past Floating World with uh, Marouj Mazmayan, uh, that'll be that'll be coming out. So, yeah, I mean, I thank you for mentioning that kind of because I was tapping in, um, tapping into the vibe because I wanted some of the, uh, I don't know, mall acoustics or whatever's happening there to capture some of that Floating World. But uh, if you have the ability to, con- you know, order from Floating World. Or visit it yourself. Um, you can hear in our enthusiasm as a as a, as a place to to get some jazzy art. So, um, I wanted to thank you, Todd uh, T. Edward Bach. Uh, to get get his stuff. Um, uh, incredible conversation with you, and uh, got me thinking about a lot of things. This is something rather than nothing.